0: you, Kendall, and uh, thank you, worship team, for lifting our hearts uh, to the Lord. And thank you, children, uh, for uh, joining us uh, this morning. It's great to have you here. Uh, now, children, whenever I am teaching you downstairs for Children's Church, there's something that I always do whenever I start off Children's Church. What is that? What do I do? Rock, paper, scissors. We always play best of five, leaders versus kids. Uh, Today, just because we're a little tight on time, maybe we're just going to do winner takes all. One game, rock, paper, scissors. Is there anybody out there who would be very, very brave and willing to take me on in a game of rock, paper, scissors? All right, I see three hands, four hands, five, six, couple out there. All right, very good. Okay, I'm going to have to have the first person to touch their head. First one to touch their head. All right. I think it was Dashiell. It was really fast. All right, Dashiell. So yeah, just right there is good. We can uh, do a a big big one all the way across the room. So just three, two, one, throw it down, your option, rock, paper, scissors. Here we go. Three, two, one. All right. And the victor is the pastor. All right. Nice work. Nice work. (laughs) If we have time, we'll play another game at the end. All right. But before we go any further, let's say a word of prayer uh, after I pick up my water bottle. Let's say a word of prayer as we come before uh, the word. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity that we can come before you. Uh, With all ages represented, we think of uh, the words of Christ, how he welcomed his children into his arms and said to them belong uh, the kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of all the children, all the parents, uh, all the grandparents, everyone who's who's single, and, and everything that I've left out, Lord. We just pray that you would... Be with us in a special way, and be with uh, my, my mouth, my lips. Please give me your words to say, not my own. Uh, we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. We have been working through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, the title of the series has been Letters to an Exile, or Letter to an Exile, meaning uh, a foreigner. Sometimes as Christians, we feel like we are outsiders, like we're foreigners, we're strangers, And the book of 1 Peter is directed to Christians to help them with their exile. So the title of today's sermon is Press In to Our Example. Press in to Our Example. Uh, This is not the example that we are supposed to press into, so don't worry. Uh, But who can tell me what is this creature that I have on the screen? Yes. A A roly-poly, very good. Does anybody have any other names for this creature? Besides roly-poly? Huh? Pillbug, yeah, I, don't, I, I have no idea what the technical name is. Does anybody know the technical name? All right, so we're all on the same page. So a pillbug, roly-poly. Uh, the reason that I have the roly-poly up here is he was in the news this week. Uh, there was a poll conducted of the coolest insects that are out there. Uh, cracked.com came up with the top 15 list, and guess which one was number one? Not the stick bug, not the praying mantis, not even the golden wheel spider, which I think got gypped coming in at fourth. It was the roly-poly. Now, why was the roly-poly everyone's favorite? Well, because it's a cute little bug. You get to poke it and watch it curl up, and then you can pick it up and flick it at one of your friends or enemies, right? Right? And it reminds me of a scientist that I once knew. This scientist was actually an expert in studying the roly-poly. He knew everything he needed to know about roly-polies, what they ate, how they migrated, where they traveled. He probably even went to roly-poly festivals if they had parties. But I remember thinking when I met this scientist, why does he spend so much time working with roly-polies? I mean, there are a million problems in our world. Just think about having COVID-19 and having to wear masks and get shots and social distance. But where were the roly-polies? They didn't help us out during any of that trouble. Or think about all of the supply chain shortages, gas prices are going up, there's food and, and droughts around the world, there's even wars. But those pesky little pill bugs, they never help us out. So it made me think, well, what is the biggest problem of our time? Where should we be putting our efforts and our energies and our resources and even our study? Now, I'm going to tell you what I think is the biggest problem of our time. But before we get there, I'm going to give you two examples. I'm going to to tell you what I think the biggest problem is with a couple of pictures. Okay, so I'm going to show you two pictures that are just fun, but it's getting us to what I think the real problem is. Okay, so this is the first picture. Has anybody seen these comparison slides before? Anybody know what we're looking at? Okay, so these are a series of pictures put together by a Chinese uh, graphic designer who lived and studied in Germany. So what you see over here, the picture in the red, uh, is uh, her perception of the cultural norm in China. And this picture over here in the blue is what she represents as the cultural norm in Germany. So people have taken these, if you look them up on the internet, they're all over the place. Uh, And they say, well, this kind of helps us understand the differences between East and West. So it's designed to compare China and Germany, but it actually applies to everybody living in the Western hemisphere and the East. In some way, it's it's not perfect. So this is a representation of what we do in the sunshine. Uh, Many in the West, we like to go out and lay down in the sun, uh, lay down on the beach in the sun. Or we go to the pool and we lay in the sun whenever we're not in the sunshine because there's a tree. We get and we, we move our towels or we move our chairs so we can lay down in the sunshine. Well, whenever I was in Hong Kong for about a month, I was taking my students on our first uh, field trip. We were going on a cultural walk and it was not rainy at all. It was actually very sunny and hot and I noticed that all the kids started getting out their umbrellas. Now, if you're a teacher in charge of about a dozen fourth graders and you see all these boys getting out umbrellas when it's not raining, you're thinking, oh dear, there's going to be an umbrella fight about to ensue. But they were actually shielding themselves from the sun, which was a shock to me. So this is helping us understand how different cultures view sunshine. Now, the next picture is still not the biggest problem our society is facing, but nonetheless, it blew my mind. I'll let you soak it in for a second. I didn't understand what this one meant. I actually went to my Chinese boss and had her help me understand it. So over here, you see that there is a moon and a shower, because typically in China, they would take showers at night. That would be the norm. Where in the West, people typically take showers in the morning. So I grew up kind of in this culture where you get up, you shower, you start your day, and then you go have a nice fresh day and start. So I never really thought about showering at night until my Chinese boss explained to me that you accumulate a lot of germs throughout your day. You shake hands, you touch doorknobs, you accidentally walk into people's sneezes during the day, and you're covered in germs. If you don't shower, all those germs go to bed with you. So it's a little bit gross. We can learn a lot from different cultures by looking at these comparisons. I have solved this problem by doing what the Thai people do, taking a shower in the morning and one at night, but very briefly. (laughs) All right, and the last one brings us to what I think is one of the biggest problems that we are facing today. So this picture represents how we view our boss, or how we view authority. In some traditional Asian cultures, the boss is feared. The boss is king. The boss is magnificent, far bigger and greater than we are. However, in some Western cultures, the boss is just like one of us, has no authority at all. Now, I I actually think that this issue of authority is something much more complex that can be represented in a few simple pictures. In our political dialogue, when you see on TV, a lot of people are always talking about power. You hear things like, defund the police. We don't want to have anyone ruling over us. On the other side, you hear about people wanting to fund the police and have more authority, more rulers. I'm not here to express my political uh, opinion in any way, other than to show that the discussion of authority and power is all over our society. It's a huge picture, and it's honestly a, a problem we're going to keep talking about for future generations. And I think all of us are shaped by our culture. We have different views of what authority looks like and what it should be. So we must come to Scripture and ask the question, what does the Bible say about authority? And particularly us as exiles, what are we supposed to do with the authority that is around us? Now, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to First Peter, I believe it is in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1015-1016. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Somewhere in there. So you must remember the context of what we were talking about last week before we jump into this discussion. Peter was writing to the exiles, still is writing to the exiles, these who think that they are foreigners and strange, and he has actually built them up. He's trying to boost their confidence, saying, actually, don't think of yourself only as an exile. Think of yourself as somebody that is royal. You serve a king and you have royalty with you. You are actually a holy nation. So the question would be arising, okay, what should we be doing in reference to this other type of authority? If we are royal, if we have kingly uh, essence inside of us, how should we be treating that authority around us? Well, shockingly, Peter tells his audience that they are to be subject, that they are to submit to their authority they are to be subjects the way that you would subject yourself to a king or to a queen you come to that monarch and you lay down your arms that's what peter is telling these people to do he's telling these christians to come and lay themselves down to every human institution that word for institution actually means creation everything created by human beings we're supposed to submit to. It's not just the federal government or the state government. It's things like the IRS. It's not just the principal of the school and the teachers of our school, but it's also the bus drivers and the lunch ladies. Everything we are supposed to submit to. This idea of being subject uh, in Greek, in the, the Greek world, they would have understood this as laying down your rights, laying down your will and serving the rights of another. Or the will of another. And I think these few verses, verses 13 to 17, they tell us what it means to be a subject or how to be a subject. It's not only laying down your rights for another, but it is that. But there's some other things. Take a look at verse 15 and 16. It tells us that we ought to be good that we ought to do good. If you take a look at verse 15, it says, this is the will of God, meaning this is what God desires for everyone, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's not that we go out and protest or have a fit or anything like that. It's by our good works we bring people to see the truth. Uh, Many times the people we serve that are our authority They are fools, I think is what this passage is saying. And that's one of the reasons it's so difficult for us to submit to them because we're submitting to someone that's no better than us. Yet it's not only good enough to submit to them and to to just serve them with our words, but we're supposed to serve them with our actions. Take a look at verse 16. It says, live as people who are free. In the gospel, you have radical freedom. But it goes on to say that you do not use that freedom to serve yourself or to do what is evil. You're actually becoming a slave of God. So it is with our actions and it's with our very essence, our very being, our core, that we are supposed to be good and submit to those who are in authority. But also take a look at verse 17. It goes on to say that submission is not only about doing good and being good. It has to do with honor. We're supposed to honor everyone, and especially the emperor. We're supposed to hold the emperor and everyone around us in higher esteem than we hold ourselves. So submission includes being good. It includes honoring others. It also includes loving. We're called to love the brotherhood, meaning the brotherhood of Christianity. That our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to love and serve them. And it's cut off the PowerPoint slide, but we're supposed to fear God. We're supposed to have this utmost respect to him that no one else has. So when we think of this idea of submitting to authority, to our teachers, to our parents, or to our spouses and even the government, maybe we're tempted to think, well, Peter didn't have a president like we have, or Peter didn't have a teacher like I have, or Peter didn't know my spouse. If he knew what my spouse was like, he would never ask me, to submit to someone like this? Well, to keep in mind what Peter is writing about, you have to understand the context or the time of day Peter was writing. He was actually writing underneath the rule of one or or two different emperors. We don't really know which one. Uh, It was possibly the emperor Claudius. Uh, Claudius was known for being a womanizer. He had four wives and multiple girlfriends. But what I find most interesting about Claudius is that whenever he got up to talk, he would, like, st- he would, uh, uh, what I'm doing right now, he would uh, uh, stutter. Yeah, he would stutter and stammer. But whenever he got really excited, what would happen is he would start to drool. And his nose would start to run, so, so he would have, like, boogers and, and, and slobber flying all over as he was talking. Now, imagine if that was your teacher, and you had to submit to this weird authority person who was drooling like a Labrador. Or imagine if that was the president and you had to submit to that person. Well, that could have been the good emperor that Peter would have been writing under. If he was writing under Claudius' son Nero, Nero was a tyrant. Many people considered Nero to be the Antichrist. Nero was so bad, he killed his own mother. And if Nero wanted to have parties, he would have special torches. Do you know what those torches were? They were Christians. He would impale them and light them on fire to be the light at his parties. But it wasn't just Christians that Nero was bad to. It was actually all of the citizens. Whenever he wanted to build a a new palace for himself, he actually burned down part of the city without telling anyone he was going to do it. So there he could build his new palace. So I don't think any of us know any teachers, principals, parents, or even presidents who have done that. And Peter is calling us to submit, to honor, and to love authority, even like Claudius and Nero. But There's a big problem with that. I can't even submit to my teachers. I can't submit to the president. I can't submit to the authorities around me. How could I submit to a tyrant? And that is why we have this book. It tells us where we can find the strength to submit. And the strength we find in the example. Take a look at verse 21. It says For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. We've looked at several different aspects of salvation or different ways of of looking at Christ. And one of those ways that we can look at Christ and contemplate Christ in our salvation is to see him as an example. Whenever we are learning how to write the alphabet, it is much easier if we have something that we can trace, something that we can put our pencil on and follow. That is kind of the idea for the Greek word of example but it actually means something, literally it translates as under the grammar, under the script. Uh, Back in the ancient world, they didn't have paper to hand out these types of worksheets, so they'd have to take wood or leather, and they would have to really put an indention for what that particular letter of the alphabet should look like. And that was the example that you learned how to write your letters from. So it's in that way we see Jesus. He is this imprint that we are supposed to follow in our path of submission. Sometimes instructions just simply aren't enough. We have to have an example that we can feel, one that we can go back to, one that we can see with our eyes, and even one that we can taste with our mouths. And that is Jesus Christ. We think of him as the one that was ultimately free he had no one that was acting upon him whenever he was just God in heaven. He was completely powerful. There was, there was no rival. The word that we talked about in our men's group this week is impassable. It means that there's no way God could suffer. There's no other rival that could do something to God that he doesn't want done to himself. God was completely free. But God became a human being. God subjected himself, put himself underneath the limitations of a human body. So whenever Jesus was born, he got tired. He had never been tired before, but as a human, he was tired. As a human, he also became hungry, and his tummy would growl. Before he became a human, he never had any problem of being hungry because he was satisfied in himself. But he became a human being he took on the limits of a human. He put himself underneath the form of a man. But he also put himself underneath a family authority where he had to honor his mother and he had to honor his father. Even though he knew more than his parents, he still had to submit and obey to them. But he also submitted to things like the laws of nature. Whenever Jesus was carrying his cross, the cross was too heavy for him He couldn't pick it up. He had to have somebody come and help him carry it. Before he became a human being, he had all power. He didn't have to pick anything up because he spoke all things into existence. And now he was under the burden of his creation. But it wasn't just the laws of the human body or his family or even nature that he submitted himself under. He submitted himself underneath the Roman government. He gave his life. Whenever they came to arrest him, he didn't fight back. Peter was ready to take his sword and chop the the Roman soldiers to bits. But he says, no, put your sword away. And here he submits himself to the authority. Jesus is our example. With each step that he took with this cross on his back, he left a footprint. And this passage tells us that we, like Christ, should follow in his footsteps of submitting to authority. So as we continue to think about pressing into our example of Jesus Christ and how we submit to authority, I want us to think about four truths to proper submission that we see in this passage. So four things we can expect whenever we submit. The first one, proper submission is precious. Proper submission is precious. Look at verse uh, 18 to 20. When Jesus was uh, going through his crucifixion, when he was subjugating himself to all of these authorities, it says that he didn't retaliate, but he kept entrusting himself to the judge who judges justly. He kept having his faith in the Father, and this was a precious thing. In fact, Jesus went through a burden and pain that nobody else will ever have to endure. So whenever the father saw him and his endurance through this, he was pleased. If you see this command in verse 18, for servants to be subject to your masters with all respect, it's not only to the good masters, to to the good bosses, the good teachers that we're supposed to submit to. It's actually to the ones that are unjust. For whenever we do this, it is a gracious thing in the eyes of God. Whenever he sees you submitting... He sees it as a commendable act. He is pleased with it. And not only that, whenever you're submitting to somebody who really doesn't deserve it, somebody who's really a jerk, somebody who really doesn't deserve it, who's, who's harsh to you, why that is even more precious in the sight of God. This reminds me of a story. Uh, does anyone know what this picture is? Does this look familiar to anyone? It is a church in Ethiopia. It is a a UNESCO uh, heritage site. There's a 60 Minutes episode on this. Uh, Definitely worth checking out. I highly recommend it. Uh, The Ethiopia church is something that fascinates me. Uh, One of the reasons it fascinates me is because it's one of the oldest churches that exists. Uh, It is uh, roughly 1,700 years old. Uh, So RBC is like 60 years old. So this is like 30 times the the length of, of RBC. And the way that this church, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, was founded was by a slave. Frumentius and his brother were actually taken captives in, uh, I think, Damascus, and they were put in subjugation. They were servants to the ruler of Ethiopia. Instead of fighting back, trying to get their freedom, they taught those around them Christianity. And soon enough, Ethiopia had its own church, which still exists today as we submit to authority, even if we are servants, well, we're going to see that we are precious in God's sight, and we have no idea what he can do. So, submission, proper submission, is actually precious in the eyes of God. And this leads us to our second point. Proper submission is evangelistic. Proper submission is evangelistic. We saw that in the life of Fermentius. He was a... a, a, properly submitted to his authority, and we see that this church was born. It reminds me of a story that I recently heard of a Christian who was in the military. This this Christian would read the Bible every day, he would pray, and those around him would make fun of him for it. They would tease him, and even his commanding officers would give him a hard time because of his Christian faith. Well, one evening, whenever this young soldier was in his bed reading the Bible with the light on, one of his superiors hurled a pair of muddy boots at this young Christian. Well, the next morning, this Christian returned the boots to the person who had thrown them, but they were cleaned boots. He cleaned off the mud before returning him, and as a result, many people in his troop became Christians. So submitting to proper authority is what God says is one of the best ways to do evangelism, to bring people to Jesus Christ. And this passage, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, is speaking directly to wives. It, It applies to all of us, but there's a special promise here for women. As they look to their husbands in respect and treat them as authority, they have this opportunity to correct their behavior when they're in disobedience. One of the best ways that we talk about doing evangelism is talking about what is beautiful. Because whenever we see something beautiful, it lifts our hearts above us. Uh, Whenever we talk about truth or goodness, we can debate what is truth or what is good. But whenever you see something like a beautiful sunset, it's hard to debate and argue that that is not beautiful. And this passage is telling us that the beauty of a woman is evangelistic, that it leads her husband into repentance and obedience. But this passage tells us that the beauty of a woman is not the way she adorns herself with gold and jewelry and makeup and uh, the way she takes a perfect uh, angled selfie for social media. It's not talking about that kind of beauty. It's talking about the inner beauty, uh, a gentle and quiet spirit. Verse 4 says that in God's sight, this is very precious. It actually means this is very expensive, If you think the the gold that you wear on your wrist or on your your watch or your uh, earrings is valuable, uh, God doesn't see that as valuable. He sees what is on the inside as valuable. I have no idea what was on the inside of that soldier who cleaned those uh, boots. He might have had all sorts of deformities and pimples and scars, but on the inside he was quite beautiful and precious. And we see his submission leading others into repentance. So we see that proper submission is precious. We see that it is evangelistic, but we also see that it is powerful. Take a look at verse 7. This might be one of the trickiest verses that we have in this passage. Uh, I believe that husbands are called uh, to, to love their wives, but I think that they're included in this call to submit to their wives in a unique way. Uh, This passage says that husbands are to honor the woman. We said that submission includes a variety of angles. Honor, uh, loving, uh, fearing, or respecting and doing good. So here whenever we see husbands called to honor wives, they're not excluded from treating wives with respect and dignity. Uh, Honor is that idea of holding them above themselves and in greater value. And we see this idea of a woman being a weaker vessel. I hope that doesn't offend anyone. I don't think it's necessarily talking about a woman's strength. Uh, It it, it might be, but I I don't think that's what's really going on. Uh, Think about all the different vessels you have in your house, all the different items you have. Some of those are weaker than others. It doesn't mean that they're less valuable. It just means that they deserve special dignity and honor. So I have two vessels here. Uh, The vessel uh, on my right is uh, a vase that I found online. If you would like to own it, it'll cost you $15,000 or three of my first cars. Um, The the other one is uh, is a vessel that you would find uh, at Home Depot, at least before inflation, was about $5, right? So one of these is weaker than the other. One of them you could throw down a flight of stairs and it's gonna be fine. One of them, uh, you're not going to let anybody come near it. It's going to be in a special place, possibly even behind glass. So this passage tells us to honor the weaker vessel. Just imagine what it would be like if we did not honor the weaker vessel between these two pictures. Could you imagine putting your anniversary flowers in the Home Depot bucket, but then filling this one up with car wash fluid, and you take it out to the driveway to wash your car? well, that would be a completely disordered house. It would be completely chaotic. It would be a madhouse. Who would take a $15,000 vessel to wash your car but put your anniversary flowers in a $5 bucket? In the same way, this passage is telling us to treat vessels properly, to take our wives and put them in the proper place. And the reason why submission in this instance is powerful is because whenever we have everything in order, in its proper place of submission and authority, we can pray. This is where our prayers come from. If we have things that are disordered, our prayer lives are going to be disordered. But if we have things in the right place, why, we're going to have powerful prayers. So we have seen that proper submission is precious, evangelistic, and powerful. But we also see that it is sacred. If you look at verses 8 and 9, we are reminded of our example, who whenever he was reviled, whenever he was mistreated, he did not revile in return. He did not breathe out threats, but he said a blessing upon his people. Whenever Jesus was on the cross and everyone was mocking him, how did he pray? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Whenever he could have called down a thousand angels to wipe out these people who were not submitting to their king, he could have. But instead, he chose to bless them. This verse says that we were called to pour out this same type of blessing. So as we press into our example, whenever we realize that in his power, he submitted to authority, he took the wounds that we deserved so that we could have the healing that we do not deserve. So we see that proper submission is something that is sacred. But it's not only sacred because we can bless or because we can receive a blessing from properly submitting. Whenever we submit to the authority structures around us, indeed, we are actually submitting to the example himself. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. At the beginning of this uh, message, I said that the number one problem in our day is that we do not like to submit to authority or that there's these discussions about power and authority. Well, I believe the reason why that is the most important discussion of our time is because we do not like to submit to the true author of all things who has all authority. So as we press into our example, may we strive to live not as those who fight about power, but as those who find power in submission through our prayer life. Church, let us pray together. Lord Christ, we thank you that you are the perfect example of how to live this life. We pray that you would give us grace to walk in your footsteps. We admit that we do not like to submit to authority, uh, but Lord, we see that it is good and that is a thing of grace in your eyes. We pray, Father, that you would bless all of us to submit to those authority structures around us that we may submit to you. We pray now, Lord, as we come to a time of communion, that you would be with us in a special way. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.